This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of healthcare. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, we have a really special episode for you this week. We're going to be talking about innovations and patient engagement. And in particular, we're going to talk about virtual weight loss management and value-based care. I mean, we've done over 150 episodes of the Race to Value. This is really going to be the first time that we've tackled this intersection of technology and obesity management. And we're going to, we have two outstanding guests that are going to be discussing, you know, how their partnership is bringing about virtual care capability that's patient-centered, holistic, and it's really providing personalized care, education, and tools to improve the health and wellness of a population in addressing also health inequity. So Dan, how about our guests this week, Dr. Jamie Ard and Rich Steinley? Yeah, Eric, thanks. This is such a cool episode. And listeners, you guys are going to really appreciate these gentlemen and their perspectives. Dr. Jamie Ard co-directs the Weight Management Center at Wake Forest Baptist Health, where he and his team use a variety of -of state-of-the-art approaches to help patients manage obesity. And they've partnered with Carium Health. And Rich Steinley is the CEO of Carium, and he brings nearly 30 years of healthcare leadership experience spanning primary care delivery, integrated physician networks, EHRs, and collaborative medical real estate. And these guys are working together now to transform weight management, and it's such a neat story, the integration of the technology to support the patient care. Well, and I have to say, I I know Rich really well. I used to work with him when he was CEO of InnoVista Health Solutions, and what a stand-up guy. It was so great to reconnect with him, and I'm really excited to share this all with you this week. So definitely tune in. You're going to learn and hear about some really great innovations that's happening in the world of value-based care. So without further ado, let's hear from Dr. Jamie Ard and Rich Steinley as they join us this week in the Race to Value. And if you love this episode, we'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any of the, the platforms that you tune in to the podcast every week. That feedback really helps us continue to provide good content for the value community. Rich and Dr. Art, I'm so excited to have you on the Race to Value this week. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks very much, Eric. Great to be with you. This is a really interesting topic we have this week, technology and how do we leverage it to uh, make an impact in the obesity epidemic. And when I think about this epidemic, 
it has huge implications on value-based care due to the impact it has on chronic morbidity, increased mortality, and just the unrelenting demands on the utilization of limited health resources. I mean, we all know that obesity leads to these chronic conditions like type 2 diabetes, hypertension, hypercholesterolemia, heart disease, and these have a destructive effect on the American healthcare system. And our audience, who are leaders in value-based care, many of them are thinking, you know, how do we go about implementing lifestyle medicine and evidence-based nutrition interventions and think about how to use technology in the right way to engage our patients? And, you know, just to rattle off a few of the depressing data points, you know, I'm looking at the cost of what obesity costs our nation. And for those that are overweight and obese, that's $147 billion in direct medical expenditures. And then you add the, the loss in productivity to the country, that's $300 billion plus. And then you have all the like comorbid conditions, you know, diabetes at $330 billion, hypertension at $131, heart disease at $199. I mean, we're, we're kind of getting up there to like a trillion-dollar problem. So I wanted to ask you both as we start our conversation today, despite both common sense knowledge and scientific research that points to the efficacy of evidence-based nutrition interventions, why hasn't obesity management yet reached a more critical mass in value-based care, especially when it presents such a tremendous opportunity for cost savings? And then also uh, along with that, is the trepidation to tackle this at a scalable level, is that due to maybe some of the issues we have with patient noncompliance? to diet modification? And if so, what role can technology play in patient engagement and activation? Dr. Ard, would you like to go ahead and start? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Eric. I mean, I think you framed the problem quite well. And I totally agree. This this is a very significant problem that's very costly, not only to our health system, but to our patients. Our patients are the individual level dealing with the chronic diseases that you described, and obesity is a multifocal chronic relapsing disorder that is a disease. And, and so as a disease, we tend to think about when a patient presents with a chronic disease that is out of control, as a healthcare system, we generally have a target. We generally have some guidance about what is standard of care, and, and we think about, you know, how do we engage that patient in treatment as quickly and efficiently as possible? I think one of the biggest challenges to get to your question around why are we not better able to deal with this, this epidemic, I think goes to some fundamental flaws in our healthcare system and in terms of how we train healthcare providers in, in the U.S. When I was in medical school, the amount of nutrition information that I got was actually really small. I went to medical school at a time we didn't have Google, so I couldn't even Google the most popular diets, which is what I think a lot of physicians these days do in terms of trying to educate themselves about what's going on in the nutrition space. You know, we, we don't get nutrition education. We don't get much education in the comprehensive treatment of obesity. We don't have much in the way of education around the pharmacotherapy strategies in obesity, and our healthcare system just isn't really set up to provide patients with the level of treatment that is necessary. That includes things like um, a lot of health insurance plans don't cover the treatment of obesity. They don't cover the medications for obesity. Some 
employers exclude surgical treatment of obesity. And most plans don't cover uh, nutrition therapy, uh, including being provided by a dietitian, for example. So when you when you put all those things together, it's really not hard to imagine why we don't do such a good job of treating obesity, um, even though even though all of the decision makers would agree that yes, it's a very costly disease. It leads to all these other chronic diseases, but we tend to simply ignore it. And even in the case where we might have a resource, we might have a center like ours at Wake Forest, Atrium Health, Wake Forest Baptist, where we have comprehensive treatment tools and and trained providers to to treat obesity, we find that um, the challenges around patient engagement are numerous. And a lot of those challenges are related to the fact that we live in what we call an obesogenic environment. That means people are being faced with the obesogenic environment, being faced with challenges that promote weight gain, even when you're not trying to gain weight. How many people went through the past three years during the pandemic without gaining weight? I think some people were able to take advantage of that situation and being at home and having shut down and, you know, picking up some new lifestyle habits. But a lot of people do the anxiety and depression and risk of losing their job and income and having to homeschool their kids and these types of things. They they suffered and they gained weight. So a lot of our patients that we've seen in the past few years have identified that stress of the environment as a major impact. And and that has a, a huge a huge impact on how we think about engaging our patients because I only spend a small amount of time with my patient in the clinic room. The the amount of time that I spend with my patient relative to the time that they live their life and deal with this chronic disease in this obesogenic environment, it's just a drop in the bucket. And so I need to be able to have tools that actually help me engage the patient in between the office visit and help them implement the plan, help me stay connected to them. And yeah, I, this is where I believe technology could actually help us in solving for that issue. I think, I mean, first of all, we've been just privileged to work with Jamie and his uh, clinic and all of his staff. And what I attribute that to is his vision to when we first met, one of the things that we talked about was the unfortunate, almost sort of diametrically opposed reality that said that obesity is typically or the uh, attacking obesity is is typically a prescription upon the onset of chronic disease. And so I still remember the first day we met, we said, wouldn't it be great if instead of lose some weight wasn't the prescription for chronic disease onset, um, that it could be flipped and say, as a preventative lifestyle habit and a prescriptive discipline, um, we could put that at the front end and prevent the onset and the exacerbation of chronic disease by tackling this. And in so doing, reaping the benefits of reducing obesity itself, but also all the downstream things that you talked about at the opening of the podcast. And so with that as sort of a recognized vision um, that we share and that all of Jamie's work and protocols are aimed at, then we were just privileged to come alongside and say, how can technology extend that care, extend that vision and Jamie's teams out into the daily life of the patient? And as we said, working in an obesogenic society, we need to be able to reach folks where they are when they're making those diet when and exercise choices 
presenting them with more and more educational material, presenting them with uh, detailed plans for how they can win at this and how they can uh, begin to have more success, incentive and reward systems and those sorts of things. And then ultimately, if I take it one step further, it's how to take a place like what Jamie has built and drive that out through the communities, out into different deserts of either care or nutrition or things like that, and really get at the efficacy and the equity of being able to reach a wider and wider population. And he can tell you more about it, but in being named a super center of excellence as he has, he can have an impact as we use technology to drive him out through the Southeastern United States in ways that just can't happen if you have to wait until someone comes in for a scheduled appointment or something that's more traditional from an episodic perspective. Rich and Dr. Art, thank you for those comments. You've both created a vision and framed this conversation so well, and I appreciate the work that you're doing. I want to dive deeper into a number of components that are involved in, in the important work that you do in, in a comprehensive approach to weight management. And, and Dr. Art, you've assembled a care team that includes physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, dietitians, behaviorists, and, and exercise physiologists. And Rich, your company, Carium, provides the app that enables that team to have a bird's eye view of every patient in their care. And the app monitors weight trends over time and helps patients log food intake, which the care team uses to track behavioral changes and, and then can offer tailored dietary feedback. And, and as I look at the team-based care model and the technology strategy that underlies it, I'm picking up on this theme of partnership. And first and foremost, there's this trusting partnership between the patient and the care team, of course, but that sacred relationship would be limited in its effectiveness without this trusting business partnership between Wake Forest Baptist Health and Carrium. And it's interesting to think how Carrium can partner with a healthcare organization to help them deliver outcomes-oriented patient-centered care by supporting and empowering people. And in doing so, they really are helping people prosper along their each of their unique life journeys. And I'd love to find out more from you both on your perspective on the importance of relationship-based care in value transformation. And how is that common goal for patient-centeredness, trust, and interdisciplinary team-based care manifest in the strategic partnership between the two organizations? So this is Jamie. I'll I'll start and certainly look forward to Rich's um, response to this as well. But Daniel, I think that you're exactly right. In order for us to be able to deliver a patient-centered approach to care, we have to work hand-in-hand -hand with Carium and that team in order to be able to, one, identify the needs and the things that really sort of help enhance that provider-patient relationship, then we have to be able to translate that need and those gaps to our carrium partners who, you know, can then help us build that solution. And so I, th I think one of the things I really like about working with Rich and his team is that they say all the time, we are not trying to replace the provider. We are here to enable that provider to do more than what they could do alone. And so we've since coined this sort of idea of a data-assisted approach to care. And that basically describes a, a process where we want to incorporate patient reported outcomes, monitoring, physiologic monitoring data. We want to be able to incorporate the self-reported 
monitoring for the patient and any other data that we can bring in that will help then inform our decision making. So we we pride ourselves on being evidence-based, but we also pride ourselves on being able to incorporate data into our decision-making process. So it, it really gets us closer to this idea of personalized medicine, giving the patient what they need when they need it at the time that they need it. In order for us to be able to accomplish that though, yes, we do have to have a really strong working relationship with Carium and that team because we bring the content expertise and we bring it in all of those different domains from the medical to behavioral nutrition, exercise physiology, et cetera. And we are using that collective expertise to really try to articulate the needs of the patient and the provider to accomplish a specific treatment goal. But I think that's been a core reason of why, you know, we've continued to develop this relationship with Carium is because at their core, they just get it, right? They just understand being able to inform how the patient is engaged comes through the relationship that we have with our patients. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think I'll go back to kind of maybe the root of your question and talk about relationships. And I think at their heart, I, I think they have to have two main elements. One is a shared set of vision and values. And I think that starts with Jamie's work and the founding vision of Carium, which is the patient, sits at the center of everything. So obviously, Jamie's life and his work is dedicated to those patients and their well-being and nothing else. And finding that in a partner like that, it's, it's, it's unbelievably evident when you visit the clinics and everything he's built. In Carium's case, the idea from the outset was to focus on a patient-centric vision that did not focus on a set of episodic billable codes or a financial happenstance in the in the medical industry or anything like that as a trigger, but said, if we just isolate the patient and then enable everything around and all the folks that were arrayed to serve that patient in as flexible and meaningful in architecture as we could, I think we share that. And so that common vision of the patient is where it starts. The second key thing is that there's sort of a trust element there of bringing core and complementary skill sets to a partnership. One of the things we say at Carium all the time is we built the platform so you don't have to, but we also say, I've never met a physician that wants a technology company to bring the medicine to any given situation. We really take that seriously. And we believe that in in Jamie's case and why he's such a great partner is everything that he's built is a set of clinical innovations, as he said, a medical, behavioral, nutritional, learning-based approach. And those are innovations that we can't bring to that partnership. Um, in turn, what we seek to bring to him is flexibility, um, workflow, data, AI-based learning, things that don't sound, frankly, nearly as fun as what he brings to the partnership, but those are our strengths. And so the idea is to say, how can we platform what he's innovated on and developed and essentially make the technology as invisible as possible so that if we do it right, that what gets brought out to the patient and that reach that's extended is everything they've developed to help that patient. And we're a conduit to it. We're an aggregator of it. We're an enabler of it. We're a simplifier of it. And to me, that wrapped back to 
that common vision of the patient is why it's been such a great partnership. And the last thing I would say is we mark out the results, right? Jamie has very specific things that he's trying to do to prove the efficacy of these programs and the ability to do that together and then show them, roll them up in meaningful ways, and then work with payers and other elements of the care continuum to say more people can be affected by this um, and spread the reach of that um, comes from being able to document and clarify those results and the efficacy of everything that he's built. Well, it's great work, gentlemen. And I wanted to get to get more into the outcomes of this unique partnership. And I'm really interested in the the behavioral change component of, of your clinical model, Dr. Art. I mean, there's been so much research over the last few years into the science of behavior change to improve the understanding of underlying mechanisms of human behavior change that can influence health-related behaviors such as diet and exercise and medication adherence. And you've been able to build a, a model to elicit patient behavior change by creating a daily structure in your weight loss program. And as your team builds a daily structure for each patient, including the appropriate frequency and timing of meals and the amount of physical activity the patient needs to reach their weight loss goals. There's also a behavioral counseling component, and this is where the patients can learn skills that can help them avoid emotional eating and group classes where they can engage with peers and tackle specific behavioral issues like binge eating. And as I understand, the Carrion platform plays an important role here because it provides the remote patient monitoring and telehealth capabilities to help the care team deliver relationship-based virtual care. And it applies behavioral change science aligned with the way humans are wired to provide that usable data that can empower the patients. And, you know, we're seeing now and, and you know, just in the global healthcare market, specifically with gamification, I mean, it's been posited that it, that's going to reach a $14 billion market by 2025. And, you know, we've seen wearables such as Fitbit and Apple Watch and other apps that are aimed at tracking and rewarding exercise. So it definitely does seem that there is this new generation of gamification in healthcare and tackling some of the more in-depth aspects of eliciting behavior change and, and, and better managing chronic diseases. So I wanted to ask you both, just given this epidemic scourge of chronic disease that we have in our country that's predominantly lifestyle-based, can you comment on the implications of behavior change and how that can be used in value-based care? And, and then also, what role can technology play in engaging patients to normalize healthier behaviors with the outcome of a more sustainable habit formation in the long term? Yeah, Eric, so I, there are a couple of really important points here that we, we want to take some time to unwrap, I think. So lifestyle and, and the impact of lifestyle choices and behaviors definitely very important in the concept of treating obesity. And it is often the starting point for everything that we do and is a fundamental component of any treatment strategy, whether we're adding pharmacotherapy on top of that or talking about surgical intervention. So it, it goes through all of what we do. We do place it in a in a chronic disease context, however. And as I was, you know, describing earlier, one of the things that we're trying to help people understand is we all live in this obesogenic environment. And the probability that someone gains weight in this environment is based on a number of things that may be out of their control in terms of their exposure to the obesogenic environment. If you live in the wrong zip code, then you have uh, 
a high density of fast food restaurants and a low density of supermarkets or other food outlets available to you, then the probability of you having obesity is much higher. If you are able to get through college and have a higher education and higher income, then you have a lower risk of obesity. So there are a lot of other social determinants that will have an impact on your risk for obesity and the probability of that. And we take all of those things into consideration when we think about how to put together a treatment strategy. In that context, what we want to do is, as our model is, we want to teach people how to best respond to the context and the environment that they're in. And we also want to give them the skills and the, and the knowledge that helps them implement a treatment strategy in different phases. And so there's an acute treatment strategy, which is weight loss, and then there's a transition phase, and then there's a maintenance phase, and that maintenance phase goes on long term, but it's also responsive to changes in life that might lead to some weight regain, right? So someone loses weight and then they get pregnant and they gain weight appropriately during their pregnancy, but now they've got to lose that weight after the pregnancy again. So that's a change in, in life status that would require some additional treatment. And I think where the technology component comes in, in terms of how we think about this, we think about this as increasing the presence of a trusted source that helps guide you in making that decision in the real time or giving you feedback that's tailored to help you understand when you look at the game tape, here's what I should have done, or here's how I can do this differently the next time when I encounter that situation. I always use the analogy of, you know, a lot of my patients will find themselves in a drive-through in a pinch. And drive-through may not be the best option in terms of food availability, but it might be the only option. And so wouldn't it be nice to be able to use a lifeline at that time and say, hey, doc, why don't you give me some real-time advice about what I should choose off of this menu and how I can use that to better my nutrition, help me meet my goals in terms of my treatment plan. Unfortunately, we don't have that just yet. But I think what we can do with Scarium in terms of being able to provide that feedback loop and provide people with tailored advice. So it's one thing just to capture the information and say, good, you are self-monitoring. And there's a lot of benefit to self-monitoring because people do make some um, adjustments and changes in behavior just with that activity alone. But we know that from a, an evidence-based perspective that people make more changes and they sustain those changes when they get tailored feedback about the actions that they monitored. So if someone writes down that, you know, in this situation, I made this choice, here's the context for that, then we can provide tailored feedback. And with Carium, some of that feedback can be automated so we can scale. We can then, you know, go from one to one type of feedback to one to many, where a lot of that early feedback or initial feedback can be in an automated way. And then some of those exceptions or things that require more individualized input can then move on to the provider level, which then you know allows us to take care of larger populations and scale up what we're doing. A couple of things I might add from the technological perspective is I think one of the things that we've tried to do at Carium and, and Dr. Art is obviously 
putting that to great use to great effect is there's a rash in the marketplace, whether it's across nutrition, exercise, lifestyle, behavioral of sort of what I call DIY applications, right? I mean, you, anyone can go out to the app stores and find thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of applications to try to do this on your own. One of Carium's convictions is that we're not an enabler of DIY health. And an example I use is, you know, you use your banking application to check your balance, but that doesn't mean you want to become your own banker. And so one of the things that we really believe in and try to enable is that trusted relationship between physician and caregiver and other members of Dr. Ard's team and the patient. So Carium is not just out on the app store to grab and use by yourself, right? We're in the context of this trusted relationship and we want to enable that and draw that closer and extend the reach of it into the patient's life. The second thing is, and I think it's really important, is the technology can enable these protocols that Dr. Ard has just talked through to be not static and to be continually learning. You know, as we walk through those elements of nutrition, exercise, life status that he mentioned, eating patterns, even seasonality, um, we bring things like weather and allergies into the uh, into the patient's feed where based on all those different sort of things, Dr. Ard can trigger his programs to say, you know, hey, based on the uh, the season of the year it is, here's some new exercise patterns to take advantage of. Um, you know, also the monitoring, we know what self-reporting looks like when uh, most of us go to the doctor, right? It's a, hey, have you been eating for the last six months, right? And have you really been taking care of yourself? And in that moment, that's really hard for a patient to go back and give an accurate accounting of. But with the wearables, with the different devices that are engaged in these protocols, not just the asynchronous reporting of that information, but the regularity of it or the lack thereof. Even the absence of regular readings can trigger certain things um, and engagements from the care team. And so it becomes a much more real time and learn constantly learning picture of what's going on with that patient and how they're interacting with those protocols. And technology obviously can do that uh, right, just with some lines of code. But if when Dr. Ard gives us the things that he wants to track, that he wants to understand, and through which he wants to trigger different behaviors or reward those behaviors, then that's, I think, a place that technology can really further and enable what he's up to. So I'd, I'd like to zoom out a little bit with this next question. We've been kind of looking at the, the individual patient, the treatment, and some of the tools that uh, that you're both providing to assist with this relationship and, and the care that's being provided. And I want to zoom out and look at the, the population level and, and discuss the predictive modeling capabilities of the technology. And predictive analytics, you know, it's not really reinventing the wheel. It's applying what doctors have been doing for individuals, but on a larger scale. And what's changed is our ability to measure aggregate and make sense of previously hard to obtain or non-existent behavioral, psychosocial, and biometric data. And, and Rich, you just told us about how you're gathering all this, all these data and combining these new data sets now with the existing sciences of epidemiology and clinical medicine allows us to accelerate progress in understanding relationships between external factors and human biology. Ultimately, we're seeing enhanced re-engineering of clinical pathways and truly personalized care. 
I'd love to learn more about how a technology solution like Carrium can help provider organizations capture information like a health risk assessment and biometrics to better guide care with predictive specificity. Sure. I'll give a nod to our architects in my answer to this, um, but I, I think it's important to note one of the origin stories of Carrium comes from our founders that um, built systems in the telecommunications space. And so the importance of that is they were dealing with massive amounts of discrete data from a myriad of sources and then needing to be able to bring that back in and analyze the health of, in that space, a network. And so the vision for Carium came out of thinking that healthcare shared some similarities there in terms of huge stores, constantly growing stores of massively discrete and disconnected data, and the ability to use the technology to go out and gather those things and then bring them back in and analyze the health of, in this case, perhaps the most complex network, that of a human patient. And so from its foundational underpinnings, Carium has been about collecting massive amounts of data. We've got about 2 billion data points right now from our various installations. And specifically, that data is only what Jamie wants to collect, right? And so it's very tailored in its collection. And then as Eric and I, you know, in our backgrounds together, one of the biggest challenges in healthcare is always data is nothing if you don't turn it into actual intelligence and information and usable information. And so that's where we go next is once we collect all that, then we want to use some learning algorithms and some AI-based technology to start to tie it together. And then we want to be able to display that to Jamie and his team in meaningful ways. And so that's part of the configuration is what do they want to see? How do they want to see it? How do we want to trend that information? And then everything in the patient feed on their application is directed by tuning the program to say what's most important to put in front of that patient at that time for their place in the protocol, for any kind of urgent or emergent situations. And all of that comes from the design of working with the physician and his team. Um, and so we're able to turn up the profile of things. We're able to turn up the importance of things and the priority and present that because most of us as just run-of-the-mill patients um, we don't, it doesn't really make sense to us to say, oh, I'm in this pre-diabetic hypertensive uh, obesity management program. And here's where I am in the protocol. That means something to Jamie and all of his team. What the patient needs to know is just what Jamie wants him to do next, right? Or just the kind of things that he wants to understand of their life at that, at that period of time. And then what do I do about it? And so that's how we use the technology and the predictive analytics to be able to give them that actionable information and then ultimately prioritize it and deliver it to the patient. Well, I'd love to talk about that aspect of what Jamie wants them to do next. And, you know, Jamie, you mentioned that the care that you provide is very personalized and in healthcare innovation circles right now, we hear a lot about this concept of of, of of precision health. And it's so much broader than just genomics driven care. It reflects our need to tailor today's healthcare system to the specific requirements of individuals at a time and place of their choosing. And in the conventional treatment of obesity, 
we often seem to rely on this one size fits all approach despite significant pathophysiological heterogeneity among people with obesity. And as a result, the response to obesity pharmacotherapy, as well as diet and lifestyle interventions continues to be hit or miss. And it's highly variable in terms of efficacy and outcomes. And what's interesting about the way you practice medicine, Jamie, is that you oversee programs that use very innovative and personalized approaches to treat obesity, all of which revolve around that same central philosophy of individualized treatment for individual patients that's aided by technology. And in the medical programs you oversee, I mean, the weight loss plans are constantly updated. They're rewired to incorporate findings from your research and the data that Carrium provides. And it's the product of your drive to understand how individual plans can be optimized to prevent subsequent chronic conditions that we've talked about. So, Jamie, can you uh, provide your perspective on this opportunity that we have for precision medicine and individualized care planning and the personalized treatment of obesity? And, and then, Rich, a second to that, I'd love to also have you speak a little bit about just how virtual care delivery and remote patient monitoring can provide the enablement that can help physicians curate a quality experience in precision health that delivers on that clinical vision. Yeah, so... Eric, I, I think the one thing that's really important in the conceptualization of this notion around individualized and personal care in obesity treatment, and I tell this to all the patients, is we are going to iterate on this treatment plan until we get it right. And what that means is we're going to continue to make adjustments until we optimize the treatment response. And that's our job as the provider team. Their job as the patient is to go give the treatment a full faith effort and then come back and let us know how it went. And we can see you know, some of that detail with the monitoring, but we need feedback on side effects. We need feedback on the day-to-day -day feelings. And again, that's where Carium can help us really gather some of that in the moment experience. And so as we iterate the plan and, and try to refine it to get to a better treatment response, we are looking at all of the available data that we have, getting feedback on metabolic processes that are changing and improving, hopefully, looking at the weight. The weight is an, an important outcome, but not the only outcome. We're looking at quality of life. We're looking at physical fitness and function. We're looking at all of those outcome streams and we're trying to um, tune each component of the intervention so that the patient is getting the best health outcome. And what that does, um, going back to your point about the heterogeneity of obesity and the heterogeneity of treatment response, is that it means that we get to a solution in terms of ideal treatment response faster than if the patient is left to do that on their own or if you take a one-size-fits-all approach. The pace at which we can get to a solution means that we are saving money faster. We are reaching a point where we are seeing reduction in um, disease, um, improvement in control of disease, mitigation of disease risk, resolution of disease, remission of diabetes. We're seeing that faster and that is happening and people are reaching clinically significant weight loss goals like 10% and 15% weight loss, double digit weight loss um, at a pace that, you know, most places, most individual treatment strategies just don't get you to within the time frame that we see. So I think that's a really important component. And then the second piece that I'll hit on here 
um, that I think is important is that when we do this, it also means that we don't provide treatment that patients don't need, right? So this is another evolution of our treatment strategies in that a one-size-fits-all approach says, well, everybody gets the same thing no matter what. And even if you don't need it, if you're doing well and you're getting a great treatment response with that initial plan and you are hitting all your marks and you need very little in the way of additional support, you know, a traditional strategy says, well, we're still going to give you all that stuff anyway. And what we are doing is shifting those resources and saying, well, if patient A is doing really well and they only need modest support, light hand holding, being pointed in the right direction, answering questions when necessary, the patient B needs a lot more hand holding. They need some more guidance. They've got maybe a you know higher burden of disease or more, you know, other chronic issues that are having an impact on their ability to implement the treatment plan, then let's put those resources there. So it's just a smarter use of resources than allowing us to get to a better treatment outcome faster. To answer your questions, uh, Eric, about the the virtual delivery of care and uh, and specifically of the remote patient monitoring, I would I would say a few things. We talk at Carium about delivering care at the point of life, and so obviously a massive challenge and a aspirational challenge of any kind of virtual strategy is to reach beyond the traditional four walls of the traditional medical experience. And so we talk about delivering that at the point of their real life, um, in their daily life. And as Jamie said, the way that works in a, in a medical weight loss environment is you're, you're interacting with them in and amongst those daily decisions that make that a success or not. And so we really believe that that's a, a critical piece of it. One of the things that's important, and we've done this uh, with Jamie, is it's a very curated and personalized experience. So we we like to have the Carrion brand name not be a part of the equation. And so everything is branded for Dr. Ard's clinic. And because at the end of the day, it, it's not a particular application um, that generally um, drives success in this arena, right? It, it's not Carrion that's caring for the patient. It's Dr. Ard. Dr. Ard is leading them through their medical weight loss journey. And that trusted relationship uh, is something that we want to put front and center. And so uh, the Carrium brand drifts to the background. Um, it's not seen. Um, Dr. Ard's branding and experience that he's designed is what the patient's interacting with. And, and we think that's really critical. From a remote patient monitoring perspective, we've seen that be very, very critical because again, if if you're trusting someone to get on a scale and tell you about it or tell you about it the next time they're in, right? I might change when my appointment is if I don't like what the scale said uh, and go see Dr. Ard later. But um, with the constancy and the asynchronous nature of that data, everybody's got a wearable. Everybody's wearing a watch these, you know, a smartwatch these days. In this case, with the remote monitored devices, Dr. Ard and his team have that information. They have all of it right away. Kind of a little funny anecdote um, that we worked on and solved together earlier this year was uh, Dr. Ard came to us once and said, hey, the the weight readings are off. There's a there's noise in sort of the feedback and uh, these these readings don't look right. And so we we dug into it together and we looked and we realized that some of the patient's pets were walking on their scales throughout the day and they were giving way outside the bounds readings. And so we were just able to work together, fix that technologically for them, filter that all out. It just kind of shows the 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 daily right in their life nature of that 
And then the final thing I would say that I think is really powerful is if we do this right, there's a shared nature to the goals where we, we really ought to have the same ones. And from Karim's perspective, the way I look at that is there shouldn't be any tech-specific goals uh, that we're shooting for that aren't Jamie's. And, you know, specifically with this solution, right, what, what he's after is statistically significant and meaningful weight loss uh, in the lives of his patients and reducing the exacerbation or onset of conditions, right? The consistency of use, the idea that this meaningfully helped me uh, in hitting my weight loss goals, and then it's always there when I need it. And there's nothing technical about any of those things. And if those things are achieved, then Jamie's program is successful. And Carium has nothing else that makes us successful beyond that. And, and so I think that's really, really critical that we're doing the exact same things for the same shared goal of the patient um, and that we're not rowing in different directions. And I'll circle back to your question about partnership and say that's why it works. What I love about this conversation is I keep hearing this theme come back. It's about trust. It's about relationships. You know, we're talking about being patient centered and focusing on meeting them where they're at and what they need. And, you know, it brings to mind a term that's used in technology design and it's human experience design. And you can't get any more human focused as a business than providing healthcare services, but we're still reaching toward this pinnacle of relationship-based care delivery. But in the world of technology design, we see engineers and developers using depersonalizing and utilitarian terms like user to describe patients and clinicians and care teams that uh, are the ones that use the software. But at Carium, Rich, you approach the human experience design more inclusively. And, and it, I can hear it in all of your responses and in, in this conversation that you're thoughtful by taking the time to reflect on the human experience and how to craft products to enhance it. And healthcare certainly needs a renaissance in human experience design. Today, patients, care teams, and physicians are struggling with technologies that are overwhelming digital piles of data. And patients are growing accustomed to shopping, banking, and health tracking on their phones. And, and they're not enamored with the clunky patient portals that we have. And in the past, healthcare technology designers typically took a feature-forward approach to their designs. And while that approach certainly has the potential for robust technology features, it ignores a huge factor in the equation, and that's the humans that are using and interacting with it. And if your target audience can't use it, can you really consider it a good design? Rich, I'd love to hear more from you as you discuss how the healthcare industry in particular has struggled to create real human connections using technology. And what do you see as the opportunity to reimagine the design of technology solutions to better connect clinicians and care teams with their patients in a meaningful way? You're absolutely right from a design perspective, and, and I would maybe root it in this to begin with. We've spent a lot of years and actually several decades now um, trying to move the practice of medicine out of an episodic, purely symptomatic paradigm, right, that's got a code tied to it. Um, and so literally the move to value, right, the name of your podcast, The Race to Value, has been about trying to move out of that episodic fee-for-service paradigm where when something happens to me, I go somewhere, and that's called healthcare. And I think that technology has absolutely mirrored that and chased that paradigm. And so what you find is a bunch of episodic, symptomatic, 
financial episode driven technology solutions um, because they essentially were just built to fill that gap and to enable that treadmill. And so that defines much of healthcare technology design. My prior life was on the provider side and building networks of physicians and working with them. And one of the things that um, I found when I was on the provider side trying to source solutions like this, I tell people this story and it's hard to believe, but the very first remote patient monitoring system that was pitched to me uh, for my physician networks was a list of codes in a spreadsheet and a stopwatch. And so... <laughs> The idea of that sounds silly nowadays, but it's an example of a reaction to that, which said, hey, there's a new code for this. And if you charge it and you time it, we'll pay you for it. Now, I can't imagine a less patient-centric design than a spreadsheet and a list of codes and a watch. Um, and yet that's how a lot of health solutions, um, that's an extreme example, but that's how a lot of health tech solutions have been designed over the years. Again, where Carium's engineers began this journey was to say, strip all of that away and put a patient right in the center of it. And if there's not something meaningful that's aimed at that patient from their trusted provider, then it has no place in our technology. And so part of why you hear me talk this way and why you hear the partnership between Jamie and I is because in his instance, there really is no carrium except for enabling what he wants to do with his patients, right? And that's really the way he works with our team. And the way he works with our designers is, I'd like to do this. I'd like to enable this, right? This is what my care teams want to do in the life of this patient. And then if carrium's right? Worth our salt. We just let them know how we can enable that um, and how we can do it. And so I think that's a difference. That's a change. It's not episodic. It's meeting the person that he's meeting in the way he wants to meet them. And that needs to be the design of healthcare. I do think it's a significant difference um, and an evolution, but I, I'll submit to you that what I said before is where that comes from and what we have to change. Well, uh, you know, Daniel had asked about the human experience and design. And, you know, as I'm thinking about the human experience, I'd be remiss if I didn't engage you both on the importance of health equity and ensuring that every person has the opportunity to attain his or her, his or her full potential. I mean, we're, we're seeing now an awakening in our society and an awareness of some of these uh, systemic disparities that you spoke about, uh, Jamie, earlier in the podcast. And, you know, this recognition of social determinants of health that uh, such as lack of access to nutritious food are especially challenging in these high risk, low income populations, such as Medicare beneficiaries and dual eligibles and approximately 13%, as I understand of US households report food insecurity, meaning that they lack consistent, dependable access to enough food for active, healthy living. And obviously food insecurity is associated with poor health since many people are buying cheap food at, at the neighborhood bodega or McDonald's since they don't have uh, access to a grocery store with healthy food options. And with regard to the technology in healthcare, we have inequities as well. I mean, this digital revolution can't simply be about making the wealthy healthier. I mean, during COVID-19, we, we did see how telehealth 
became the primary mode for supporting patients at home. And for many, that provided huge benefits. But we also saw, again, what we've long known is that while most Americans have a smartphone, many don't have access to a data plan that's a, a, able to support both connected care and virtual education. So I wanted to ask you both about your thoughts about how we as an industry can improve health equity by addressing these social determinants of health. And then also, you know, are we at this time now where this bridging of the digital divide in underserved communities can be recognized as a social determinant that's just as important as housing or transportation or food insecurity? Um, I'd love to get your the perspective from, from both of you on that. Yeah, thanks, Eric, for bringing that to the forefront. I, I think this is really important issue that we need to be looking at critically across all of the healthcare domains that we deal with on a regular basis. But certainly in obesity, we know that there's a significant health disparity when it comes to low-income populations, populations of color, um, especially women of color. We see much higher prevalence of obesity in these populations, and um, there's no sign that it's abating. So I, I think that, yeah, technology should be part of the solution. And um, ideally, if we think about this the right way and, and are focused on it, it won't be something that leads to worsening of disparities, as you sort of intimated that, you know, there's a possibility that that could certainly happen where you have uneven adoption or deployment of these types of solutions that then only worsen disparities because people who need it the most are least likely to get it. So in terms of practical ideas and solutions and things that we're even thinking about within our program, I think this is where value-based care can really make a difference in terms of how we incentivize care and how we think about the deployment of resources so that Again, we put those resources where they are needed most, and we think about it at a population level. So from a, the process of incentivizing use of care and providers to uh, take care of populations in a way that's, that's economically meaningful, I think that when we move away from the you know, sort of volume incentive, right? So if, if I just see more patients and do more things, then I get paid more, I'm incentivized more because that generates more work RVUs for my system and that brings in more revenue. Compared to, well, let's actually think about the quality and the outcomes that we're achieving and incentivize providers to do that and give them the time and space to be able to provide care in the interstitium, right? So that that time that's between visits, ideally, we would be incentivizing providers and making it possible for them to provide care during those times. Because the again, the, the relative amount of time that I have face-to-face -face with the patient is going to be a, just a drop in the bucket in, in terms of their daily life. So I, I would like to see, you know, yeah, the adoption, broader adoption of, of value-based care, especially in the obesity space, has a real potential to drive some of these disparities in terms of access to treatment. And then we need to use technology in a way to help us identify and, and remedy issues that are social determinants that will have an impact on the patient's ability to implement the treatment or issues that will mitigate response to treatment. So again, I can tell based on geolocation 
that this person lives in a neighborhood that um, has limited walkability, no safe space for activity. Why don't we get that person hooked into a YMCA program or YWCA program in our local community that would give them a safe place to do structured physical activity? And I can then use the technology in that location to now monitor and provide feedback about the um, effectiveness of that activity in that space. So I, I, I do think that there are things that we can you know, think about and innovate on that will really actually help us drive um, a lot of these disparities and move with a health equity frame as we as we try to tackle obesity and in the, in the epidemic that we're seeing. You know, back to the first time Jamie and I met, one of the things we talked about was the uh, the ability now through a lot of these technologies to be able to share what he's doing, not just throughout the Carolinas, but, you know, throughout the United States. And, and it was one of the first things we talked about was, why not do this everywhere, right? Because it, it really just extends what he's doing. Um, you know, we're, we're blessed right now to be working on programs that are extending mater maternal fetal health. Uh, protocols out, out through rural areas of the country that don't have access uh, to that quality of care. We're working um, on spreading um, oncology protocols and the reach of some of the best doctors in the top medical centers in the country um, out into uh, deserts of that kind of care. And so I think the the applications are almost limitless. Eric, to your point, though, one of those scarcities, we talk a lot about food and about transportation and about healthcare um, scarcity or deserts, but technological scarcity um, is another important thing. And so I think to that end, one thing that I think is important is the concept that incremental matters and, and incremental improvements matter and that making things better, but not all at once uh, is something that we can do and we can tackle now. So, you know, as an example, one of the first things that Carrium tackled was the idea that seniors might not use a smartphone. That's sort of a popular idea these days. And yet we've been able to disprove that and, and prove by usage statistics that they're actually some of the most active, most engaged, stickiest users of this kind of technology and really engage when they're, again, when there's that element of someone cares about me and is taking care of me on an active basis. Um, and so, you know, I think we can bust through myths like that. Um, you mentioned one, the idea that um, income fragility might mean that they don't have access to these devices. And yet the smartphone has become almost ubiquitous. Um, there's a lot of technological programs going on right now to increase access and to boost access through different satellite uh, bandwidth technologies and other things that are pushing that out to where hopefully following in the footsteps of the smartphone, uh, those deserts go away. And that isn't something that folks don't have anymore. And then finally, I would just say, we have to use what's there and be able to reach them in a multinodal way. You know, one of the things that Carium has worked hard on is to say, you don't have to have a bunch of different applications, systems, or protocols to be able to reach people. And embedded in this is, sure, the easy way is embedded app messaging and things like that with rich bandwidth but and rich video and those kind of things. But we can also reduce it all down to an SMS uh, messaging and a text platform and things like that. And so the ability to reach people where they are while we try to better their situation 
um, I think is important. And I think technology needs to be able to run that continuum to be able to deliver meaningful things like what Dr. Art is up to. You know, we began this conversation talking about a vision and a framework of, of what health looks like and how technology and the and the plans and the design of the program that you've built, Dr. Art, can really help patients achieve health. And, and I'm thinking now about the future of health and that vision in mind, and, and specifically about the future of health information technology and value-based care. You know, health and medicine in the future could look totally different if we could just figure out how to pay everyone for value to forge the creative partnerships between health leaders and entrepreneurs, establish secure connectivity between systems so we can share data to better care for patients and create pathways for new medical innovations that can foster improved health and prevention. And once our industry fully embraces these concepts, I can envision this future where providers prescribe technology applications to their patients more than pharmaceuticals. And it could be the beginning of a fourth industrial revolution where we see scalable disruption in our current care delivery model through digital transformation. I'd love to hear your parting thoughts on your vision for digital mobile consumerism and healthcare and the future of digital health technologies. And what do you think the future will look like in the next few years with emerging advancements in AI, the internet of things, 5G wearables, and gamification of consumer health apps? The first thing I would um, say, Daniel, to your question is, if I just take the things you just listed off, I would hope to sound an encouraging note by saying the technology is there. One of the reasons Carrium was started was because its founder said, the internet has so radically sea changed so many industries, why hasn't it done so in healthcare? And so if you list through the different things that you said, I would just say the, the technology is there and we use it in almost every area of our life. And we use it almost unconsciously for our financial management, for our retail experience, for our educational experiences, for the way we worship, all kinds of things across the spectrum of our lives. We use those things completely, comprehensively, and almost unconsciously. And in healthcare, it's lagged so far behind that. And so I would speak to the application of those sorts of things um, and, the, and the ability to bring them together into a comprehensive way to experience our health. Again, I mentioned before, we're trying to disabuse this notion of that healthcare is somewhere I go when I'm sick. And rather, um, it's something that I do as a part of and interspersed with every element of my life. And I think the technology exists to do that. If we put it together in the right way, which is what Carium has attempted to do, um, then it should fade to the background. Um, Technology is on display when it's not very good and when it's clunky and when it interferes with the normal things of our life. And when it's at its most elegant, it backs up into the background and we barely know it's there. And in the case of our work with Jamie, again, what ought to come to the forefront is everything he's designed to take care of these folks and have meaningful health impacts on, on their life. And they should barely realize that they're interacting with a system called Carium. And that's my vision for how we can not only take care of folks, but again, to Eric's last question, spread that so that everyone everywhere gets to have that same experience. Yeah, I, I think that's great, Rich. Um, 
and and what I would add is that I think that the notion of a healthcare provider practitioner prescribing a software package or a combination of a treatment strategy along with this AI tool that then guides them on a treatment journey is, you know, really interesting and intriguing. And I, I fully agree with Rich, you know, a lot of these types of solutions are there. It's just a matter of stringing together a couple different technologies or applications to create say a solution. For example, I've thought all the time, what if my patients had the ability to have automated meal planning based on their context and in, in geolocation? You know, we have calendaring. Your calendar can be read and your location can be known at any time. And based on your situation, you can anticipate when it is that an individual needs to eat. And just think if you didn't have to make 21 decisions every week about what you wanted to eat. And if someone could do that for you in a way that was personalized, but automated and met your budget and dietary needs, your medical needs, that's doable. And it's just a matter, again, of just putting it in the right package and creating the parameters by which, you know, people need to you know, set the tolerances and the ranges and the specificity for that application for themselves. So I, I totally think that, especially in the space where we talk about chronic diseases that are, you know, have a lifestyle component, we could, we could take a lot of that responsibility off of the individual um, in, a, in an environment where making healthy choices is not always the easy choice. Um, we could take a lot of that work load off of the individual, create strategies and systems that automate some of that process. And I think most people would be very happy with the idea that, yeah, I don't have to wake up every day and spend a lot of time thinking about what I eat, when I eat, um, how much it's going to cost. Is it healthy? Is it going to affect my blood sugar or my blood pressure? I'm not really sure and so I default back to the thing that I've always done. And so I, I can see a real role and a real need um, for continued uh, growth and development of solutions like Carium and what we're trying to do with our patient population to get to that point where we are, as Rich said, operating in the background, but driving and helping um, to enable those, those consistent choices that really improve health and maintain health on a, a regular basis. Well, gentlemen, this has been a such a powerful conversation. I mean, I, it leaves me with so much hope and optimism for our future. I know we seemingly, you know, look at the the problems in our society and we think they're insurmountable, but you know, through the power of relationships and partnerships like yours, you know, between Carium and Wake Forest Baptist Health, you know, coming together, building an alliance and truly caring for patients in a way that we can improve population health. I really think this is a bright spot that many of our listeners are going to learn from and hopefully be able to replicate in their respective organizations. So, you know, Rich Steinley, Dr. Jamie Art, I wanted to just thank you both personally for spending your time with us this week on the Race to Value. Thanks very much, Eric and Daniel. Jamie, pleasure to be with you as always. It's been great. I totally enjoyed it.